You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, dedicated to cultivating a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. There's this author I really love, uh, Wendell Berry. Anybody ever hear Wendell Berry before? Really, really good. Start reading Wendell Berry. Uh, and he has this book called A Place in Time. It's a book of short stories. And I started reading them again, and um, I read one that just, it gripped me. And it's a story about this 12, 13-year-old boy in this small fictional town who's dealing with loss for the first time. Uh, an older gentleman in their town dies. And so this boy is trying to come to grips with, with what it's like to bear the burden of grief for the first time ever, you know, to bear the burden of, of pain for the first time ever. And so this boy's walking around outside, and this is what the author says about this boy. It says, he was outside. Everything was as he knew it, but he also knew that there was a great change upon it. It was a day unchangeably changed. It would be forever what it now was. It was a day unchangeably changed. It would be forever what it now was. Struck me. Like, that hit me. Um, And then then, uh, the boy goes on to say, you know what? I'm thankful that I have a small community. I have this community in front of me that allows me to to work and to bear the the weight of this pain with others, right? And he says, I can't imagine if I had to bear the weight of a thousand deaths or bear the weight of a thousand hurts or bear the weight of a thousand, uh, you know, you know, hate or whatever it might be. And he goes on to say, I'm thankful that I just have to bear what is here in this immediate place. What, you know, forever is unchangeably changed. And I think the past 10 days, I feel like things are unchangeably changed. I think like in some situation, you know, I wake up, I have my same family, I have my same purpose here on earth, and yet things feel a lot different. (laughs) They don't look so much different as they feel a lot different. And I think about this boy, and I think about this boy dealing with pain, and I think about when this story was written. This story was written in 1979. Who was alive in 1979? Thank you, guys. Me too. Are we the only ones? That's terrible. Wow. Anyway, 1979, for those of us that remember, uh, we need to do a better job of this church with age diversity. Um, for those of us that remember, uh, you know, you had your, you had your 6 o'clock news, you had your 6.30 national news, you had a daily paper, uh, you knew what was going on in the world, but by and large, if you were dealing with pain, if you were dealing with struggle, if you were dealing with hurt, you were dealing with the people in your immediate circle, okay? You were dealing with, with people who were right in front of you in your town, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your family. And then about 20 years ago, what ends up happening is we get this thing called the internet. You guys have heard of the internet, Right? And uh, we get this internet, and it's been incredible. It's connected us to people we might not be connected with. Uh, with. It's, uh, it's allowed us to advance technologically in ways that are incredible. It's allowed us uh, to see some of the hurts and the pains that have been going on throughout the world and do something to, to rectify that. It has allowed for revolution. It's allowed for governments to change. That's pretty incredible, right? The internet has been good, but I want to say this, um, and, and I'm, I'm saying this knowing that there's some... some uh, I guess pitfalls is the word, or some ways that this doesn't work all the time. I also think that the internet has crushed us in some ways. The internet has hurt us in some ways. I'm going to tell you why. Because in the past 15 years, we scroll through a timeline, and we now bear the weight and pain of hundreds, if not thousands of people. We scroll through, and now we have opinions of hundreds, if not thousands of people. We scroll through, and now we know the hatred of hundreds, if not thousands of people. We know the divisiveness of hundreds, if not thousands of people. You know what? 15 years ago, we may, we may have had 8 to 10 people in our lives that we would talk to daily that we would be taking on their emotion, right? We'd be taking on their problem, taking on something that they were thinking about. Maybe, right? 8 to 10 people, maybe in a day. Now it's hundreds, if not thousands. We know 
the thoughts and the hate and the pain and the anger of our best friend's cousin who we met the one time at the wedding who lives in Missouri. And we take that on and we bear that, right? We're not meant for that. We haven't evolved that way. It's taken us thousands of years just to have the immediate pain that's right in front of us to, to, to be able to handle that. And yet in 15 years, we have gone from dealing with eight or 10 to hundreds, if not thousands. Things are unchangeably changed. No wonder we're in a crisis, right? It feels like a crisis. No wonder we're more afraid than we've ever been afraid before. No wonder we feel oppression more than we've ever felt oppression before. No wonder we're, you know, we're scared. And, and I get it. We're, we're anxious. We're sitting in front of our computer screens going, oh my gosh, the hundreds if not thousands of people think this way and I don't know what to do about it. It's, it's anxiety inducing, right? That's it, the way it feels. I, for one, have worked all week where I sit in front of the computer and I look at social media and I go, maybe I should say something as a leader of a church. Uh, maybe I should do something. And Every time I go to type, I'm like, J-O, dot, dot, delete, delete, and I just slap the computer down and I walk away. I'm in the same place. I have the anxiety. I feel the crisis. Do you know that this is the safest time in the world? You know this is the most peaceful time in the world? Unequivocally, it's a fact. This is the most peaceful, safest time the world has ever experienced. There's less war, less atrocity, less violence, less pain, less hurt, and yet we would never know that, would we? We would never know it. It feels more divided than ever. Things feel unchangeably changed. And so I come here today, and I'm going to talk about this word Barak. You know what Barak means? I wish. <laughs> well, this is his name. Barak means blessing. I'm going to talk to us today about blessings. Blessings. That feels a little ironic, right? <laughs> We're wrapping up our six word series. I'm gonna talk about blessings, Barack, which is where he gets his name from. It means blessing, blessing Obama. We can start calling him. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I don't know what to do about blessings. I'm not sure what to think about blessings in this time. And so I started really researching blessings and, and this word Barack, and uh, we're gonna read from the book of Numbers. Raise your hand if you've read the book of Numbers all the way through. You guys are liars. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, the numbers, we're gonna read from the book of Numbers because I think Numbers talks about Barak, talks about blessings in way that, ways that matter today. And so if you have your iPhones, if you have your Bible with you, I want you to open up to Numbers chapter six. Um, numbers was written by uh, Moses along with some other people. And last week, if you were here last week, we talked about Mizraim. We talked about going through the narrow place from slavery into freedom. Okay, and if, if we're picking it up after we get to freedom, okay, so we're picking it up in the desert. And uh, so numbers is a lot of rules. Like, okay, if you're a free country, how do you live as a free country? There's a lot of historical record, you know, here's what happened to Israel after they became free. There's a lot of frustration. In fact, uh, most of Israel mistrust God. They don't trust God right now. They're like, God, you've brought us into freedom, but for what? And, you know, to the point where God gets so angry and so upset that God is like, that's it, that's it. This generation, you're not going to see the promised land. Like, that's what God does. It's the ultimate, like, that's it, I'm turning the car around. No great adventure. Like, it's that ultimate, like, you know, that, that pain, right? But in the midst of all that pain, there's this incredible blessing. So let's go ahead and read number six together. Uh, I'm going to start right at chapter one. Uh, it's, or it's chapter, or verse one. It says this, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or a woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, and I'm just going to stop right there. And I know that you remember every single message I've ever given. And so we've talked about the Nazarite vow before with a guy named Samson. Remember? 
So Samson took the Nazarite vow, and that means that um, you, have, you, you have to grow your hair out. It means you, you uh, uh, have to eat kosher. It means you can't touch anything that's dead. It means that you can't drink wine. There's a bunch of rules that go along with taking a Nazarite vow. Now, what is a Nazarite vow? A Nazarite vow, uh, as far as we could tell, was a, um, it was a repentance. It was a change of mind. So most scholars, most theologians will say that the Nazarite vow happened when uh, you were in a place of crisis, you were in a place of great pain. You were in a place where you were sort of stuck and you needed to do something to get out of that. You needed to change your behavior, change the way you were thinking. That's what you had to do. Sort of the reason New Yorkers do the whole 30, am I right? Um, <laughs> but this is what it was. It was like that kind of crisis. And so you took this vow and it was a, a, a temporary vow. So it happened for 30 days, maybe for six months, maybe for a year. And at the end of this vow, you got this blessing from God. And this blessing was incredible. It was like the blessing of all blessings. In fact, it was a blessing that made you a favored person. Like you carried this blessing with you to your grave. In fact, the first time this blessing was found, it was in 700 BC. They opened up the graves of some Israelites and they found this blessing literally on, on a scroll sitting on the chest of the people inside these graves, right? You literally carried this blessing into your death. This blessing was so incredible that it's still said to this day. And in fact, it's said to this day, um, you know, at, at, at uh, you know, synagogues across New York City, when, they, when the rabbi says this blessing, the whole congregation turns their head away from the rabbi because the belief is that the rabbi is not actually saying the blessing. It's a blessing that still comes from God. It's a blessing that still holds true. That's how important and big this blessing is. You guys want to hear this blessing? So after you finish the Nazarite vow, this is how you would bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. How many people have heard that before? How many people love that blessing when they hear it? There's some real beauty to it. That's how powerful it is. It's a powerful blessing. Now, I left out a little bit of the meaning of the word Barak, okay? Because Barak does mean blessing, but Barak is a certain kind of blessing, okay? And so this is what Barak means. Barak actually means to kneel and bless. So when we're reading the Lord bless you, okay, when we're reading that, what we're actually reading is the Lord, God, the infinite and unimaginable God who created us, is kneeling before us, kneeling before you, kneeling before me, kneeling before God's creation, and saying, I bless you with light, which is love, right? I bless you with love. I want to give you love. I want to give you grace, which is getting what you do not deserve. I want to give you peace, which is the way I've intended this to be. The God, the infinite, the unimaginable creator kneels before us. That's what Barak means. Um, I used to be a production assistant. Any production assistants in the house? Yeah. Uh, and we were filming at this uh, church in Austria, and it was a 1,200-year-old church. And they said that we could film there, but the one thing that we had to do was while we were taking all of our equipment and all the stuff to set up through the sanctuary, we had to kneel when we got to the front of the sanctuary at the cross. And so every time, you know, I mean, you'd have like tons of equipment and then you'd just be like, you know, you're like getting down and you're kneeling. And it was to the point where our sound guy kept forgetting to do it and he got kicked out of the church. Like they told him he couldn't come back in. And so they were like, why can't he come back in? And the monk said this, the monk says, you know, it may seem ridiculous, but kneeling, but kneeling is a small step. It's a small thing that reminds you that there is something way bigger than you. 
It's something that tells you that, that you are not just you. You're not selfish. There's a selflessness that comes with kneeling. And it says that there's something bigger. There's something that's going to bring peace. There's something that's going to bring grace. It comes right out of this blessing. That's what this monk was saying. That's why we were kneeling when we went through. And this is like beautiful, right? Because you get this beautiful picture of God kneeling before us and blessing. And then God goes, oh my gosh, I don't think humanity gets the fact that I'm actually kneeling before them. Let me send Jesus, right? And then what does Jesus do? He kneels down when this woman's caught in adultery, right? What does he say? Nobody's here to condemn you. Now go and sin no more, kneeling before her. He washes the disciples' feet. He kneels at the disciples' feet. Guys who were a complete and utter mess who I'd probably kick out of this church, he <laughs> kneels before them, washes their feet. Right? And then the, the disciples, you know, they're all hanging out and, and I, you know, it's either Luke or Mark chapter eight, I'm riffing now. And, and they go, um, they go, you know, oh, who's gonna sit at your right hand, Jesus? Who's gonna be the, the powerful one that sits right next to you? And Jesus goes, no, uh, we're, we're not here. The Son of Man did not come here to be served. The Son of Man came here to serve, right? I'm here to kneel before you. I'm here to tell you there's something bigger. There's a selflessness. There is a unity. There is a peace. There is a love that I am bringing. So, kneeling. Barak is a blessing by kneeling. Our God kneels before us. Jesus Christ comes and kneels before us in the ultimate selflessness, right? Death and resurrection so that we have love. We have grace. And we're partnered with God to bring peace. That's beautiful. Does anybody else think that's beautiful? I love it. How does it, how does it relate to today? Two things that happen because of this. Number one, the people who follow the Jewish tradition, and I think this is great, they wake up and they say 100 blessings a day. And here's why they do that. They recognize that God has kneeled before them in blessing, and they want to return that blessing to God. And so I'm not kidding. I'm being very literal when I tell you that they wake up and they say, God, thank you that I woke up. I'm blessed that I woke up. And then I'm not kidding, I'm dead serious. They go to the bathroom and they say, Lord, I'm thankful that my orifices work. Like, and they go throughout the day, thank you that my car starts. I'm thankful that, you know, and they go through the day saying 100 blessings. God, you have knelt before me in a blessing. I now say my blessings to you. What would life be like for us if we just said 100 blessings a day? What might change? What kind of perspective might we have? How would it look different? Think about that. I can get through like five blessings a day before I get angry. <laughs> what happens if we got through 100? In this time, right, where we're the, the unchangeably changed, where everything feels different, where we, I feel like I'm in crisis, what if I change my perspective and I said, you know what? I start with the blessing. I start by acknowledging thankfulness that the Lord has knelt before me. I now speak out blessings to others. It creates unity. It creates the peace. It creates the love. It creates the grace. And then more importantly, this is the other thing that has come out of this blessing, and I think it's more importantly because it speaks right now to right here, we physically bless others. Because we've been blessed, our blessing comes from physically blessing others. And so as I sit in front of the computer and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm bearing the weight and pain of hundreds, if not thousands of people. I think about this boy in this story, about how this boy just says, in my immediacy, I'm thankful that I have people to bear weight and pain with me. And I think to bless others is to bless people right here in our immediate area, our immediate friends, our immediate family, the people sitting right next to you. What does it mean to step out and kneel before those people? And what does it mean to do it in such a divisive time as this? I have three practical steps, so if you guys got your notebooks, you might want to write these down. If we are going to kneel before people, if we are going to bless by being a blessing, if we're going to do that, if we're going to respond to God's blessing to us by blessing others, here's what I want us to do. I want us to start by blessing the people in our immediacy, and that starts with our families. How many people are a little bit anxious about seeing your family this holiday season? A few of you. 
a few of you. How many people have a family member who didn't vote the way that you voted? Okay, yeah. Everybody wants to go home and be right. You want to go home and win the argument, don't you? I do. <laughs> Except my family's like different. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. What if we, what if we were to go home to our, our family's homes? What if we were to go home and, and, and when they bring up that, that political opinion that is different or they bring up that, that, that other thing that's different than you, what if we said, you know what? We have our differences. It's true, we have them. But I'm not here to win an argument. I'm here to point out what we have in common. And you know what? We believe in Jesus. We love, we, we love that we are loved. We believe that every human being uh, has dignity and is loved by God. Therefore, we should help the oppressed. We all believe that, right? We can all get behind that. We can all get behind the fact that people are scared and if they're afraid, then they should have a voice, right? We can all get behind that together. And notice we're not skirting the issue here. Our blessing is not staying silent. Our blessing isn't saying, you're dumb, you're racist. No, our blessing is going, you know what? We have differences, but we have way more in common. And it's in our commonalities that we end up bringing the blessing, the love, the grace. I have friends, and I talked about them last week, and I talked about how divided we all were, and this week we kept talking. And this week my, I said to my friends, you know what I love? I love the fact that regardless of who you voted for, guys, that we can all agree that we need to make sure every human being is treated equally and that we can denounce any kind of hate. And all my friends wrote back, and they were like, you're absolutely right. You know, we got each other's back. We're behind one another. We want to make sure that we see equality. And what I really wanted to say is you guys were idiots for the way you voted, and that would have gotten us nowhere. Instead, we look for the commonalities, and that creates blessing. How are you going to bless your families when you go home or when they come here, when you see your friends? How else are we going to be a blessing? Here's the second thing I think we need to do. I think we show blessing by not giving in to the social media frenzy. We communicate information that leads to action because this brings hope. What do I mean by that? I'm not saying get off social media. I was on social media this morning. I'm not saying that. Here's what I'm saying. We are bearing the weight of hundreds if not thousands and we are posting opinions to Facebook and sitting back and leaving them there. And you know what, that's not, that's not helping. You know what that is? That's TMZ. That's what that is. You know what I love about this church? I love that at this church, people that I follow on Facebook or on other social media sites, you have posted your opinion. And yes, opinions matter, and you've posted them, but you have posted action steps. Here's where I think we should go. Here's what I think we should do. Here's how we act. And that is the blessing. That is the blessing. I got an email from a, a person in our church, uh, and she said to me, do you know who your council member is? And I was like, um, but uh, www.council.nyc.gov. I found out who my council member was, and I found out that when I went to their website, um, they already had set up a rally for all of Brooklyn to create peace. They set up a rally for Bangladeshis who were being harassed after the election, and they set up a, a volunteer uh, system with New York uh, Immigration Coalition. Like, there's another guy at this church, Jonathan Judge, who has been going to these council meetings forever and ever. Post your opinion to Facebook and then post how somebody can go and meet their council member. Do that. Don't talk to your, your you know, cousin's best friend's sister that you met at the wedding in Missouri. Don't talk to them. Let's take action because it's in action that we have the blessing. So church, with your small group, find out who your council person is and go. Go serve. Go do something that brings unity. Go do something that brings peace. That is where the blessing comes from. That is where we end the need to bear the burdens of hundreds, if not thousands, of people. That is how it happens. And finally, last but not least, 
I think we show blessing by living out the politics of Jesus. And I'm going to say something that I think is probably, um, you might not like it that I say this. Um, I, uh, I don't care who you voted for. I really don't. I don't care who you voted for. You know what I care deeply about? I care deeply, like passionately, like living my life for this, that we all follow the politics of Jesus. That's what I care about. What are the politics of Jesus? Protest and dismantle systems of injustice, free the oppressed, expose the oppressor, give to the poor, rebuke hypocritical religious leaders, live for a different kingdom, welcome refugees and immigrants, die to self, sacrifice for others, love without discrimination, pray for those who persecute you, do good to those who hate you. This is what it means to love your neighbor. These are the politics of Jesus. Church, this is what I care about. This is what I care about. You know what's going to happen? If we start doing this, we're going to create way more unity than, than divisiveness. That's what's going to start to happen. If we start to do this, people aren't going to feel afraid. If we start to do this, people aren't going to say, get over it, because they don't know what else to say. If we start to do this, people are going to be like, oh, this is making America great. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. We follow the politics of Jesus. And church, we're going to go out, and we're going to do that this week, next week, and for the rest of our lives. That's what I think. Start small. Start small. Um, my wife and I decided that we were going to make sure that Muslim business owners in our neighborhood got our business. Bring peace, small. Send a text to somebody you know is afraid and tell them that you see them and that they're blessed and that they're loved. Go to your family member and say, you know what, I love you greatly and instead of arguing with them, pick up your glass of wine and say, hey, I'm gonna go for a quick walk. because that's a blessing. That creates unity. <laughs> What's the small thing that you're going to start to do? What's the small thing you're going to do to live out those, those politics of Jesus? What's the small thing you're going to do when you get online and you are angry? Yesterday I tweeted something out with nothing to back it up, and I'm sort of apologetic, but I got a lot of likes. <laughs> <clears throat> but what are we going to do? What are we going to do when we post or when we do that thing that says, you know what, we no longer have to bear the collective weight of hundreds, if not thousands. Instead of being against something, we are now for something. And we are for a God who says, you know what, it's not up to you to bear the collective burden. Yes, things are unchangeably changed. It's not up to you to bear the collective burden. I come before you kneeling in blessing. Jesus Christ comes before you in the ultimate kneeling, the ultimate death, and the ultimate resurrection. Jesus says, you know, my, 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 my yoke is, my burden is easy, my yoke is light, right? Come to Jesus to do that. And you know what we do? We help people in our immediacy. We help people that are right in front of us. We live out the politics of Jesus. Our God is big enough to bear the burden of the collective world. That is not our job. Our job is to be the image of, the, of Jesus Christ. Our job is to be the Imago Dei right here, right now, to the people in front of us. We have a God who kneels down. We have been blessed. And so, church, it is time for us to go out and be the blessing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a beautiful, beautiful blessing that has said that, that you bind us to yourself. Um, on bended knee, you come before us and you say, you are my creation and you are loved and I show you that through Jesus Christ. Thank you. Lord, help us to be reminded that we can change this place. We can bring peace to this place by being a blessing to others, by naming the blessings, by keeping them on our lips. So Lord, thank you that we are all here today. Thank you that we can celebrate being here today. Thank you for the friendships that are here today. Thank you for the friendships that are gonna form today. Lord, thank you for the action that's gonna take place today. 
Thank you that we go out, we go out, and we be the light in this world. We thank you for that, God, and we pray this in your name. Amen.